right, all right, all right. Day 185. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're still in the thick of, again, one of the most important books uh, in the entire Bible, especially the Old Testament. Right. Remember, in this section of Isaiah, we are talking about this section of comfort, of hope, of peace that Isaiah is prophesying to God's people. And he's like, no, no, it's going to be a new exodus. Right. So we pick up today in 49 with another one of the servant songs. So remember, God is going to bring this new exodus for his people out of exile and he's going to do it through the servant. (laughs) Right. So 49, one through six is the second of four servant songs, right? So it's, it's kind of long. I won't read it for the sake of time, but basically God is going to put it on a worldwide billboard for all the nations to hear that this is his servant. And this servant is called by God, right? He is called by God and he was called by God before he was even in the womb, right? So he's chosen, right? But he also designates this servant as the one who will bring him glory, right? And then this text says, no, 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 he's not just chosen. He's not just one who's going to bring him glory, but he's also called Israel. <laughs> so it's interesting. He's called Israel. But then look what he does after that. He says, no, no, no. He says he will bring Jacob back to God and regather them. Huh? So in other words, he says, no, no, no. he's Israel, but he's going to also bring Israel back. <laughs> right. Then further, he goes on and he says, no, 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 not just that. <laughs> Everyone else as well, the nations as well. He will be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. Notice the movement. Israel first, then the whole world. God will change the world through what he does for his people, Israel. This prophecy is fulfilled in none other than the man, Jesus Christ. Right. Christ fulfills this prophecy for God's people in the Bible. And it's interesting because the context is important. Israel is in exile. They feel as if God has forgotten them and abandoned them. And by all appearances, it seems like he has. Now, side note, uh, Jesus fulfills his prophecy as he comes as an Israelite to bring Israel back to God. Right. So he's a Jew. He's a he's an Israelite. Then he's also a Jew. He's from the tribe of Judah. But he also saves the nations. And if you remember in the in the, in the um, New Testament, no, no, all of his disciples were Jews. Right. So in other words, and they were all it, it was 12 of them. So it's 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples. Jesus, what he's doing is restoring Israel. <laughs> that's what that's the whole point that the gospel writers are trying to make when he's gathering his disciples, when he uh, brings them to himself, when he uh, sends them out to to, to make more disciples and he sends them to the ends of the earth. He restores Israel and then changes the world through Israel, right? So God kept his promises. Now, it seems like God has forgotten them though. That sounds all good and nice KP and, and, and it's smooth and neat and all that good stuff, but it seems like God's forgotten us. We're in exile. And look what God says in this text. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the child of her womb? Even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. Listen, 9.9 times out of 10, a mother will not forget her baby or not give compassion to her children. Trust me. I know I'm a mama's boy, (laughs) right? God says you, God says, if a mother wouldn't do that, 
why would you think I would, right? Why would you think I would? You think I would forget you? And he goes even further. And he says, no, no, no. Even if a mother did in some odd situation, I wouldn't, right? And the, the truth he wants to remind his people of today and the truth he wants to remind you of today is that God's people have to remember that we serve a God that doesn't forget, right? We have to remember that we serve a God that doesn't forget us, right? And again, it seems like it, but God says this restoration in this chapter will outweigh the desolation. God says this renewal will outweigh the damage. God says that the glory that is going to come is going to outweigh the suffering that has came. This is the God we serve. Jerusalem, he says, will be too small. <laughs> he says it will be too small for all the children I'm going to bring to dwell in it. If you're listening to this podcast and it feels like God has forgotten you, remember that God's restoration of you will far outweigh and exceed and surpass the amount of suffering you have experienced. Right. And he says, no, no, this is so you will know you then you will know that I am the Lord. He reveals himself once again in what he does for others. 50 comes, 50 comes, and the Lord will tell his people that he can and do, uh, he can and will do what he promises, right? He alludes in these first few verses to Deuteronomy 24 and Deuteronomy 15, and he says, um, no, no, I didn't write Israel, my people, a divorce certificate, right? And I didn't give them off as children into debt slavery, right? In other words, in ancient Israel, divorce was permitted and sealed with a certificate, right? Or an oath. If you had, or if you had kids and you couldn't pay a debt, your children could be taken away from you, right? Go read Deuteronomy 24, Deuteronomy 15, right? And these were usually binding legal realities that separated and altered both relationships, and so God, taking on the many metaphors he does in the Old Testament, says, no, no, in the same way that I'm your spouse, in the same way that I'm your father, like, I, I haven't divorced you, right? Even though you've cheated, <laughs> my people. And I haven't given my child up, even though they've disobeyed. And he says, I will redeem. He says, is my arm too weak to redeem? Or do I have no power to rescue Right. Remember, the arm language comes from the Exodus. But God, what he does here in uh, verse two, he asks a rhetorical question. And God in the in the scriptures, listen, God asks questions not to learn new things himself, but to reveal things of himself. Right. He is powerful enough to do what he says he will do. Right. And so much of our uh, lack of trust comes from believing that God is not able to do the very things he's promised to do. He's promised to give us peace. He's promised to give us joy. He promised he's he's promised to protect us. All of these things he's promised to do, he can do. Right? He can do. He can do. He can do. So in 50, I love it because after that he goes into the what we would call the third servant song. So in verse 4 uh through 6, we 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 get the hints of this servant that is going to come. So remember the identity of this servant is progressively being revealed in these chapters, right? That that God's servant that he's going to use to bring about this redemption. And this servant will be obedient. We get hints of that more on that later in some odd way, and in some odd way he's going to actually suffer more on that later as well. But it's interesting because he will be Yahweh's agent. He will be God's agent and he will be vindicated as well. Right. He will be proven to be 
righteous. And what the text is going to hint at and say is that, no, no, obedience to this servant is synonymous with obedience to God. <laughs> Interesting. Obedience to this servant is synonymous with obedience to God. Now, remember, if you're an Old Testament saint at this time, you like you're trying to put the pieces together in a sense like you don't have a full you don't have the picture and perspective that we have now after the coming of Christ. But what we can see is this. He says, no, no, God doesn't just call you to obedience, but he's calling his people to reliance. He's saying this servant is the one that you should obey, but he also should be listened to and leaned on. Listen, I want to say today we know the servant is Jesus and listen, Jesus wants us to listen to him but also to lean on him right you lean on something that can be your support right jesus wants to be that for you today 51 comes it's so much in these texts man 51 comes and uh he's like yo he's just providing more assurances and assurances and assurances for his people he's like no no like the rock from which you were cut right look to me i'm the rock from which you were cut right and what he does is he goes back into their heritage right he talks about abraham and sarah and he would he um reminds them that his original promises that he made to abraham have not been abandoned right and because israel check this was the fulfillment of those promises he made to abraham it means they had not been abandoned so in other words his promises serve as proof god's promises the promises he has fulfilled serve as proof that he ain't forgotten his people Right. Then he mentions the transformation of Zion. He's going to talk a lot about that. The transformation of the holy city. It will be like a new Eden. In other words, God is saying this redemption I am bringing on the backside of exile is not just a repopulation of Zion, but a transformation of Zion. Right. And there's so much uh, biblical significance to uh, it being like a new Eden. Remember, God dwelt with his people in Eden. It will be uh, the same for them here post-exile as well. And it is the same for us today, right? God dwells with us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And one of the dope things about this chapter as well is that as he slides down in 50 uh, in 51, excuse me, um, there's just going to be this pairing of God's righteousness and salvation, right? So good. God's righteousness and salvation. You see it especially in verses 5 through 8. In other words, when God brings his salvation, his very own righteousness will be revealed, right? The fulfillment of God's promises shows and reveals the righteous and just character and nature of God, right? Now, I love it because, again, the New Testament writers, Paul and them cats, they was in the scriptures, bro. Like, they were in these scriptures. Look at Romans 1.16, fam. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Listen to what he says. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. Remember, we talked about that Jew-Greek movement. Verse 17, though. Check this. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Oh, my God. Paul was in Isaiah from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Right. God reveals his character in doing what he does for his people. And finally, chapters, the chapter ends off with another assurance. He's like, no, no, like the wrath will be done. Right. Look, I have removed from your hand. Verse 22, the cup that causes staggering, the goblet, the cup of my fury. You will never drink it again. Listen, Israel will have taken the cup 
and there will be no more wrath for her, right? They they will have drunk all the juice that's in the cup, like that's in the it's in the pitcher. You feel me, right? And and for her, for Israel, it's only blessing, right? And this is good for news for us. This is good news for us. I'm getting ahead of myself. Listen, this is good news because Jesus is the ultimate Israelite. So he takes the wrath of God at the cross on our behalf. So guess what? God doesn't. John always says it all the time. No, no. God has doesn't have an ounce of wrath for you. Not an ounce. So a lot of us struggle with like, man, is God angry with me? Man, does God have a posture of displeasure towards me? God, is God frowning? Is, he, is his eyes furrowed at me? No, because of what Jesus took in our place and what our sin deserved, all right? So he assures them that, nah, like this exile was an extension, a, 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 a type of wrath a type of judgment that you guys experience from me that there will be no more 52 comes 52 is one of the hardest chapters in isaiah oh my god 52 and 53 is different listen in chapter 52 we have just a further kind of a climactic point of salvation right of what god means and what god is actually going to do and the movement of the passage is brilliant because it starts off with a renewed zion in verses one through two right where he's going to say no no again a zion will not just be uh it won't just be a repopulation but a transformation right it will be zion is jerusalem right the holy city where the temple was it'll be uh repopulated but it'll also be transformed so he says no no the unclean no longer will reside right what does he mean he says the unclean will no longer reside here and um, you you get the sense all throughout the, the 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 book as well that Zion will be expanded, right? So he says, in other words, the world when it is transformed will be like a cosmic temple, right? The unclean will be unable to enter this cosmic temple in the same way in the earthly temple that Solomon built, the unclean could not enter, right? And so what, what, what God is saying is, I will have cleaned my people in such a way that nobody will be unclean. Everybody that dwells there will have been washed by the blood, right, <laughs> in a sense. And the same is, 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 is true here. So he's saying like, yo, um, I will renew the earth one day, the holy of holies, the innermost part of the temple where the presence of God was in the temple will be expanded upon the whole earth. It will be cleaned, no unclean people. This place will be a place of perfect holiness. He'll get more into that later but he also says that the people in this place will be redeemed kind of like i was hinting at he says a debt will be paid but check it money isn't sufficient to pay it <laughs> no no like you can't put a price tag on that joint right like the price of redemption he's saying exceeds monetary and fiscal value and this is why peter and i love it the apostles was in the text of peter first peter 1 18 through 19 what does he say he says no no for you know that you were redeemed hmm from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors check it look not with perishable things like silver or gold it went no amount of money that could pay for this thing it was that costly right that only god's precious and only son it says but with the precious blood of christ verse 19 of first peter 1 but with the precious precious blood of christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb so much he goes more into depth uh into that redemption tomorrow i love it isaiah 53 very famous passage we're not there yet though but he goes through the history of oppression talks about assyria talks about babylon and he is concerned and god is saying like no no me doing this is once again uh about the revelation uh of my glory and my own reputation right he says that in verse six god reveals himself in the work of redemption we've said that a ton but i love the climax in verses seven through eight right here's the proclamation he says how beautiful 
on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, check it, your God reigns. The voices of your watchmen, they lift up their voices, shouting for joy together, for every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. What's going on here? The word he's going to use, man, the word he's going to use for uh, good things, right? Uh, in verse seven in uh, the CSB is good things. But the word he uses is the word euvangelion in Greek, right? Um, it's a basar in Hebrew, um, but it just, you know, euvangelion in basar translated mean gospel, right? This is literally he's bringing the gospel, right? And so in this context, in the Old Testament context, what he's saying is um, the gospel was the announcement of this victory accomplished by a king. Right. This is why he sums up what he says at the end of verse seven. He says, no, no, your God reigns. Right. Like in three words, that's that's what I'm trying to say. This is why um, he brings it up. But but the the, the content of, of of your God reigns, he fills it out in what he says as well. So he says, yo, this is the gospel. Listen, the gospel is announced as in like context. The gospel is announced as the answer to exile. Right. There is. He says there is good news that is going to take place. Right. And it's a proclamation of peace. So we know that this good news is associated with proclaiming a type of peace. Then he says this good news is about the reign of Yahweh. We see that in verse seven as well. Right. It's about the reign of God. This is God as this great king over us. But then it says the good news is about the salvation of Yahweh. Those things aren't antithetical. Those things are complementary. Right. Those things go hand in hand. Right. But this also he says, no, no, that's not it. It's also about the return of Yahweh. So in other words, he said, no, no, this good news that I'm proclaiming to you now, way before it actually is accomplished, is about the redemptive reign of Yahweh's return. And this is where most New Testament scholars quick um, this for free. You know, uh, most New Testament scholars believe and I do as well that Jesus and Paul got the term gospel that they bring up over and over in the New Testament from Isaiah 52, 7. Right. And it involves a king, his peaceful kingdom, the salvation he brings in his very presence and return to and for his people. Isaiah is saying this is the gospel. Right. This is what Israel was hoping for. And this is what Christians now hope in. We have to remember the good news of the gospel. I think a great uh, homework assignment today would be to meditate on Isaiah 52, particularly verses seven and eight. Again, this is what Israel was hoping for. But this is what we hope in. Today. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your grace. I pray that the message of the gospel would seep into the heart of our very souls. It's in Jesus.